All right. And welcome to the What's Next podcast with Dave. And Pete. And today we're going to be talking about scaling vertical development and what that might look like. Uh, we've got Carl Sanders-Edwards on the line. G'day, Carl. Hey, how are you doing, guys? Pete, I'll let you take away the intro. Excellent. So Carl is the CEO and founder of Adeption, and he's driven to make leadership development that works vastly more access- accessible. Carl has 20 years experience doing this with global leadership organisations and startups. He holds an MBA from Babson College in Boston, where he's a Platinum Triangle Fulbright Scholar in entrepreneurship and graduated top of his class. He also has a Bachelor of Technology and Honours from Massey University in New Zealand and was awarded the 2011 Massey University Distinguished Young Alumni. After that introduction, I'm feeling like quite an underachiever, Carl. So <laughs> once again, thanks for joining us today. And where are you joining us from exactly? I'm joining you from Tairua on the east coast of the Coromandel Peninsula in New Zealand. That's about two hours from Auckland. And um, if I take this headset off, I could hear the surf right now. Amazing. Right, I'm jealous now twice. <laughs> one from your intro and one from the surf. So that's great. And so today we're going to be talking about AI and leadership uh, and we're going to have a really good deep conversation about the opportunities that AI and machine learning offer to leadership in the future. But before we do that on all of our podcasts, we do a bit of a check-in. Uh, so today what we want to do is we want to talk about what was your favourite childhood toy, whether it be a teddy bear or something that you had that brings you fond memories from when you were a child? Well, it's a great question. I had an older brother who had a blue puss, and I kind of, uh, uh, and I always wanted that, but it was, you know, being being the younger brother, I couldn't really get to it. Um, so I have to settle on Lego, on the Lego. I just uh, nice, yeah, a. Um, Parents' friends came back from the UK at one stage with this gigantic Lego set, and um, I've got kids now that are sort of eight and nine, and steal their Lego still. Just love making things and building different nice things and seeing what happens. So that's the one that really sticks out. Excellent, Dave. Very for you. good. Um, I was thinking about this. Uh, I could easily go to like a teddy bear or something I grew up with, but with with young kids at the moment, I'm revisiting some things that I had as a child, and it's kind of cool to go back to um, to your roots and share something that was special to you as a child with your own child, and go back and kind of re-experience things for the first time all over again. So my vote's actually going to be Charizard. Um, not as a toy, just as an idea or a character in all its forms, whether it be video games or plush toys or whatever. I just love the idea of actually going back to Pokemon with my eight-year-old and being able to play with it all over again. I'm, I'm glad you clarified that because I was about to ask, what on earth? Is, I, can't, I can't even pronounce it. So. <laughs> that shows the difference in our age. It does. <laughs> Hilarious. But it's just going to make mine look rather old school. I still remember the one toy that... I've got, and I was back at my parents quite recently, and I, it's still stashed in the back of a cupboard somewhere. Was this kind of dark green felt Tyrannosaurus Rex that was uh, fluffy at the front end and stuffed with crushed walnut in the tail end? And you know, whenever a disagreement between myself and my brother went the wrong way, that it's a great combat tool. You can just <laughs> use the front end and use the back end. So I'm very, very fond of that dinosaur. It's got me out of uh, many a compromising position when I was in my youth. <laughs> Very good. Cool. Excellent. So we might kick off. So obviously 
maybe, Carl, it might be useful for our listeners to understand where you've come from. So, you know, obviously you're running this company at the moment called Adeption, which we'll get into in, uh, in a little while, but maybe just give us a little bit of your history so that people have got a little bit of context for today's conversation. Yeah, great. And I'll, I'll try and make this reasonably quickly, but the, the arc is um, quite eclectic, I think, anyway. I started off studying engineering um, or manufacturing engineering in particular. So in the small town that I grew up in, I was, did a lot of work at the local Toyota factory, um, which was an interesting experience in itself as it transitioned from being one of the worst in the Toyota world to one of the best for its particular class. And it's now the only car factory that's still operating in New Zealand um, and that it's become very agile and iterative. So that's kind of really imprinted on me. Um, after that, though, I, I joined um, a technology consulting firm. So I went from sort of engineering, um, manufacturing engineering to software development. And that, soft, and that was right early in the um, pre-Y2K uh, challenge when agile was just becoming popular. So I was on some of the first projects that were transitioning from a waterfall methodology to an agile methodology. And coming in out of sort of manufacturing and having studied lean and continuous improvement methodologies, it was kind of like at a psychological level, the two were from a human management point of view, the two just felt identical. It was about, mm -hmm. you know, moving, working in short, sharp experiments, learning continuously and iteratively and, and doing things um, in service of use cases rather than maybes and could be. So I kind of got really interested in that. And then um, uh, after that, joined a technology startup in the UK um, after spending five or six years in the, in the technology consulting world. And in there, we were doing a lot of um, the same sorts of things, including design thinking type sort of methodologies to build out product sets. I was operating mm -hmm. as a product manager and that business grew a lot. And it was, um, I was kind of thinking by that stage in my life that this whole business things pretty easy because it was been sort of three really quite successful organizations have been part of and then um, returned back to New Zealand and started trying to work with a few different organizations and realized what a shambles was actually out there in, in, in many people's lives in most organizations from a lack of alignment to just feeling stuck to being really reactive and full of victimhood and um, I thought there's got to be something that you can do about this you know it, mm. having seen people thriving in organizations and organizations doing really good interesting things and generating leaders and and building confidence and and then and then seeing actually that that wasn't the norm um kind of got me really really motivated and i was looking at joining up i was doing some strategy and purpose values vision type sort of work and i was looking at joining up um, with a leadership development firm because it was kind of like Maybe that's the, the combination that really makes sense. And um, not meaning any disrespect, I was kind of horrified with what I've found in the leadership development sense because going back to that manufacturing one, it was kind of like the old push style. You know, There used to be production planners that would decide what needed to be made when it was going to be made and they'd push all of that inventory out onto the shop floor mm -hmm. and there'd be people trying to build stuff just surrounded by waste and things would fall over and there'd be things in the wrong place at the wrong time. And one of the big revolutions was this idea of pull-based manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought leadership development's exactly the same. We're trying to shove things on people that are inappropriate for the current challenges and stage of work that they're in. And the whole field gets a bad reputation because it, it might be interesting. It's just interesting, but useless. Um, 
for my current world. So could we flip this whole model and make it far more agile and say, pull down what you need when you need it in service of your work and make that really developmental so we can move people from this reactive victim mindset to a pro proactive kind of creative mindset at the same time. So I was having a rant just like that with some advisors and one of them, um, one of them had a company and he said, we've got these problems, there's 50 people, do you want to come and run, run a pilot program with us? I'll, I'll pay your costs. And um, it was like three months later, I was. And um, <laughs> well in that company, there was somebody that was married to the head of HR from another large local firm, a very large firm. And they said, oh, we've got some frontline leadership development that we want. A thousand people, you should pitch. And, and we won it, long story short. So that kind of got going to what's eventually eventuated in Adeption today. That's fantastic. Um, all right, so let's talk about leadership and AI and kind of where you went from there to where you are today. What's been the trajectory and what are you kind of heading up and running today? The, um, the trajectory is, was we were doing that first version, despite my technology background, was very um, workshop-based, very in-person. Mm -hmm. And the idea was pulling from an agile sense. It was like development doesn't happen in one go. You know, you don't learn to, you don't get strong by going to the gym once. You've got to go continuously for a long period of time and you, you get strong, it works, but you don't see results after your first time. So we were getting people back together at least six times mm -hmm. in a cohort and they were all getting clear on what was important to them, getting some fresh ideas and colliding perspectives to use next language. And then they were planning experiments that were for how to advance their leadership, individual mm -hmm. and collective ones. And they do that six times. And um, it just works. It still works ridiculously well. And they come back, reflect on their results, steal each other's ideas, and then go again. And, um, <laughs> and but the problem is, is that there's only so many organizations that have got the appetite to bring people back together physically six or seven times. To sort of Costly the, exercise, yeah. You know, to get the required momentum. And, and the more we did it, the more we realized it was less about us as facilitators and just more about the process that we were taking people through and the kind of structure that we were providing them. So it was like, well... Um, the more we can move into the background, the more scalable this can be. And this feels like a good solution for technology. And so we looked at mashing up currently providing ones, but I was kind of, again, a little bit horrified. All the capital and effort and developmental technologies seemed to be going into solving the wrong problem. Mm -hmm. They were solving a problem of content availability, which Google had already solved. Um, and they said so they were providing content to people which was still not what they wanted when they wanted it, where really development happens through experiences mm -hmm. and reflection and perspectives, and nobody was solving for that. And so we sort of took a big, it was to do with that MBA, but a big leap of faith and sort of said, let's just start pouring all of our time and energy into building a platform that can enable that iterative development process work. And... Um, that's where machine learning or AI came into it really quickly because if you focus on people's reflection and getting helping them get clear, just like a coach does in what situations they're currently facing, so you ask them questions rather than tell them stuff, then you build a really clear map of what they're after. Mm. And so we started training algorithms to recommend ideas and content based on what we'd learnt for them. So same person could go through the same workout or module we call them workouts 
uh, and they could have a very variable experience based on that. So that kind of got us into the whole field. And um, yeah, I, I could yeah carry on, but we sort of split the businesses now. So there's a there's a services business that still runs those workshop based things. We never get people together seven times now. It's twice at the most because okay. Adeption does the heavy lifting in the middle. Yep. Yep. Um, and now I pretty much focus 95% of my time on growing out the technology-based business and awesome. um, getting more people using it. Yep. So just quickly before we move on, I'm really interested in that leap of faith moment because I think it's something that people who aren't a trait entrepreneur um, are, are occasionally faced with that moment um, in their own professional life and um, it's a very, it's a wild moment. The, the trade entrepreneur will go, oh my gosh, I've been looking for this my entire life, let's go. <laughs> but um, the, the majority of the population probably get to that moment and go, oh, holy shit, what do I do? Um, so can you just take us back to that moment, that kind of leap of faith moment and just take us through A, like, like kind of where you were at and the confidence you had the confidence you didn't have and kind of the process you went through for that particular leap of faith moment. Yeah, it was kind of like a leap of faith two years. <laughs> a, a, long, a long way. There's a lesson in that alone. Yeah, yep. it, was, yep. it was a process. Um, and I was just exploring, you know, I really wanted to do something. Um, I just really wanted to push myself and do something of some sort of, uh, outs so I had that and I looked at various options um, and we've, and the jump shift business, the services one was operating well. Um, but the first leap of faith was going to Boston to study. And it was an, an MBA in entrepreneurship and leaving behind the company that was still fledgling. And it nearly died because of that. So that was the first leap of faith to go, you know, I could build this. It'll be a kind of a, a nice company, I'm sure. But there's something else that I wanted to explore. And so, um, you know, getting away from a little bit of sitting in New Zealand comfort, arrogance and, and going into the big wide world was good. And interestingly, a couple of people there that really helped Dave <laughs> said, in, in true sort of American fashion, sounds like a nice little lifestyle business you're building for yourself down there. You know, I can't see it ever having any impact or scaling to anything. You might be able to be comfortable and live at the beach at best, but is that all you want? And um, if you want to get really serious, you know, you need to do something more. So that kind of rung around in my head. And the other thing that they talked to us a lot there about was these leaps of faith. Are, there's a couple of key ideas. One is acceptable loss. So if you can think of as bad as it can get, and that's okay, um, then that makes the leap a lot easier. And so that framing really, really helped. It was kind of like, well... Oh, this this isn't actually that big a leap of faith. If I end up spending a couple of years on it, doesn't work. Then got some good experience from it. I think about some of our listeners who might be um, either in the rat race or trying to be a change agent within a company as well. Even just the narrative around something as simple as acceptable loss, it's hard to even bring up the idea of loss per se within a business. The idea of actually having a nuanced discussion about acceptable loss in the pursuit of something great is a really powerful thing to actually, like you said, to frame up your thinking. Yeah, and it really was, you know, it, it, and I've, um, I've shared that a few times with people, like you say, in, um, in organizations, and it can be a bit game-changing to just go, mm. okay, well, it's just not that, not that bad. And then the other one was this idea of self-selecting stakeholders, which I thought was really interesting, which is like, if you've got an idea and you think there's got some legs, the last thing you should do is try and hide it and hold it to yourself in fear of somebody copying it. Tell everyone, 
and 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 you don't you'll never hire a team because you've got no resources you've got no money you've got no influence but if after six months you've got a whole bunch of people that are kind of like asking you to get on with it <laughs> and you've sort of this team has emerged rather than selected then it's probably a good idea if after yeah. six months you're still talking to yourself and there's crickets then time to move on mm. and so kind of what happened was the leap of faith almost was forced on me because there was this bunch of people that were kind of going come on then you know we're in like That's we're great. here yeah fantastic yeah and so when it came to adaption itself so what, what was the opportunity that you think that ai brought to leadership development like because obviously there's lots of online programs right and you know people have content like you've said that you know you can Google now and get all of that. So, what's the unique opportunity you think AI had to aiding development? Um, from our from the perspective that we're using it, um, I think it's the unique opportunity is was it? I think it was in two thousand seventeen. The two fastest growing job categories were apparently personified by yoga teachers and data scientists <laughs> <laughs> and um kind of like at the same time whole foods uh which is the fastest growing supermarket chain in the world mm. um was purchased by amazon and so you've sort of got this data driven monster that can um utilize enormous amounts of insight to deliver us stuff within hours at our door but they needed some sort of heart as well. And it's just the same, same as the yoga teachers and, and, and data scientists. So I think the biggest thing that it enables is where Dave started is scale. To be able to give something that's kind of heartful and intensely human to a lot more people. And so the problem that leadership development suffered from is we kind of have framed it up as the leadership development paradox is what works doesn't scale and what scales doesn't work, <laughs> which is what I said earlier. And so like, I think that com combining AI into leadership development, you can break that paradox. You can have something that works and scales and you don't remove people from the system. You actually just get people doing what they're really good at. Because if you really break it down, like I said earlier, we don't run seven workshops anymore, but we still run two. The, um, the, there's a lot of heavy lifting and things that technology can do that in the service of development that um, can do better than people can mm. um, and that's where AI can really help us and there's and then what that does is it frees up the facilitators and the coaches to do what only humans can do well, and provide it, that heart and that, that makes me think and correct me if I'm wrong here the assumption I would have then on the back of that is that those two sessions that you now do run in your services business are intensely more human absolutely absolutely yeah. you never you know you don't there's not there's not a moment of standing and delivering content for example yeah. Yeah. you know and people are already have gone out and experimented taken feedback practiced a bunch of things at work and what they're doing is they're making sense of that together so you're creating an environment where people can really magnify those um experiences that they've already had before they get together so those that um the level of the level of interaction that you can provide when you do get people together is just at another level. I mean, Pete, you experienced this a little bit with the incubator process. You know, the first the first of the vertical development incubators that Nick and I ran were a lot about content and kind of leveling people up. Yep. The last one, none. It was all discussion. 
Yep. Yeah. And so the biggest thing that AI brings to it is to be able to see, to look at the data and see the patterns and then be able to find out what works, what doesn't work, and therefore it accelerates your iterative process towards things that are more valuable. Would you say that that's probably one of the benefits? Yeah, I mean, getting really, that is, and just taking that into a really concrete example, um, because our kind of core processes around experimentation and iteration, people state what their experiment's going to be. Um, they write that down so it's digitally available. It's a piece of content. Mm -hmm. um, the platform helps hold them accountable to that, both through peers and coaches and straight out sort of nudges and things. And then they reflect on how they went um, with that. So that, that action reflection becomes like a piece of content or a little mental model, an experiment that's been run. So what the AI allows us to do is that somebody else, two years later, is faced with a similar situation or challenge to what that person faced. Um, and the AI detects the pattern and sort of says, hey, here's what somebody else, another leader who was in your situation Here's what they did and here's how it went for them. You might want to reach out to them and talk to them. And actually, here's how four people dealt with it. These are the four closest matches to you. Yeah, cool. And we'll talk a little bit about vertical, but we can even filter that by vertical stage. So here's four people operating on your developmental edge. They maybe see the world just slightly differently than what you currently do. They're not Nelson Mandela, but they're also not you know, your adolescent self. They're just sort of somebody... It's maybe your next potential version of how you might see this. And um, so imagine speaking to a coach who's just talked to 100,000 people and that coach can perfectly remember the four closest matches to you of just beyond your current stage development. I mean, that's something that um, I think is really pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's maybe a great segue and... As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've had Nick Petrie on previously and you and he are co-conspirators in the, the development of his uh, vertical development incubator. And so what might be great is just if you, if you can give us a bit of a description of how you see vertical development and then maybe sort of talk a little bit of how you've applied, you know, integrated that into adaption. So you've created this platform, it's got an AI base, it's accelerating and scaling leadership, and then you've dropped in this new theory with vertical development, which is kind of like the, the cutting edge and the future of leadership development and how you've managed to integrate that into with the AI and, and just some of the effects that you're seeing on leaders and working with this process. Awesome. Um, is it, is it, I mean, you can probably do it better, Pete, but is it worth um, doing a very quick intro on what Absolutely. development is? Go for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I think I'll probably, I'll just use the simplest, the, the simplest analogy that I've got is the idea of um, developing vertically is around developing um, capacities as much as, as much as capabilities. So generally we focus on giving people stuff and teaching them how to do things or learning how to do things, which is like, if we've got a cup, it's just pouring more in. Um, the challenge is, is that if your cup's already full, it's going to overflow and you may go, that was great, that's really interesting, but I can't deal with it. I'm just kind of, I, I'm, I'm, at, I'm tapped out. I'm at my capacity now. Yep. Whereas with vertical development, we know that people can, they don't necessarily grow capacities through their life, through experiences, which is like getting a bigger cup. The stuff that's in there, the level goes down, you've got more space. 
um, you can deal with complex, ambiguous, highly variable situations a little bit better. You can sort of be a touch more detached from them, um, which really helps. And I think that's kind of a big theme of what we see in the world and business today. Yeah. One thing that for me that it really appeals as well, having lived in a few different places of the world, is your sort of circles of belonging can be wider. So you can be part of more things at one point. Doesn't mean that you're not part of your tribe and you're from New Zealand or from Australia, but you're also part of the world or part of a, a sort of a bigger macro level culture, which I think is really healthy for us and the challenges we face as a planet. Mm. So um, that's that's kind of how I contextualize vertical development. And as far as the what, how we've built it into the platform, I really do subscribe into where um, Nick's kind of really succinctly managed to make a lot of the, the hows of that um, accessible and that you, you you grow these kinds of capacities through experiences you grow it through living um, not through and sort of when you need to more than when you want to so mm -hmm. it's kind of forced upon you. you you end up in situations where your current way of making sense of the world aren't sufficient and you're just going to keep banging into a brick wall um, unless you can reimagine actually how you make sense of the world to get around that brick wall and so um, Heat experiences, I think we've all got plenty of those often in life, but things that do challenge your current level, your current capacity, and they, they, they force that need and are kind of developmental from that point of view and that you're being the same as you've always been isn't sufficient. Colliding perspectives, so seeing how others think and various different ideas, other mental models and maps that can pause you and go, oh, okay. Um, and then reflection and experimentation. So the reflection is actually taking time to integrate um, integrate what, what you're doing. The way we bring those into adeption is really, really avert. So I mentioned the action reflection loops. That's our version of heat. Most actions that people take on the adeption platform are things they know they should do, but they're not. They're mini heat things, but it's really, really interesting. It's like, um, it's uncomfortable to go and practice as a, mid-level manager in a large organization to practice delegating because you really should already know how to do that and you sort of spend a lot of your time pretending that you already know and so it's it's a it's a mini heat experience actually publicly and quite vulnerably saying i'm going to try this and i'm going to try it in a certain way mm. um, the workouts that get you to that practice have features in them that create colliding perspectives so when we ask a reflective question about like what's difficult about delegation you write your own answer and after you've written your answer you can see how thousands of other people have answered the same question not before and so what that does is it goes over the sort of social our brains if we saw how other people answered that question like in every other platform basically on the planet you instantly narrow down the frame and you lose the opportunity for colliding perspectives you stop thinking for yourself and you end up getting these tunnel echo chambers emerged. So we built features that really help create colliding perspectives. Same with the AI when it's recommending content into you. We um, use exactly the same algorithms that work so well from a marketing point of view of that create echo chambers and say, here's how people that think like you do this and here's, here's, here's <laughs> Uh, this is popular, therefore you should do this. And so we're just narrowing the scope of human experience and the opportunity to ever stumbling across anything different. Um, I, so I think a lot of those technologies are very anti-developmental, but it's just as easy as doing that, to use exactly the same technology to make it really developmental. So you sort of say, here's how people in different 
geographies from you and different uh, who come from different backgrounds who think differently from you here's how they might deal with this particular situation and so instantly you create these colliding perspectives that just give people access to different maps yeah. and then the reflection piece is really built into the whole thing so you can't unlock a workout and move past it until you've reflected on how you did went with the first one you generally start a workout with reflection coaches and peers are giving you feedback as well so we've sort of really tried to take those um and it's about the experience not the content there's plenty of content there but the primary objective is to get people to have experiences so we've really leaned into that but just the last thing i'll say before i finish is that 10 eight years ago nearly 10 years ago it was a real struggle because everyone that we met in hr and lead, leadership development was like yeah but what are you going to teach them where's the program where's the content <laughs> um and i'll be like well it depends you know it depends what they need yeah. <laughs> it depends the situations they're currently it's, facing it's kind of it's that transition that, to pull not push right exactly exactly yeah. and it's it's interesting that really comes up now it does i agree and i think you know some of the work that we're doing some of our proposed approaches is, ar is around that what do you need every quarter and then design off the back of the need rather than fit your needs into you know, something that you've pre set 12 months ago that may not even be relevant anymore so the things that you're delivering have no value because business has moved on and so how do you build that agile capacity mm. into your design and delivery and i think that's a really core component of what we're seeing now hence with the agile is business the market it's all changing so quickly that 12 months is the horizon's way too long so how do we do that in iterative quarterly sprints development sprints have you heard you guys would love this i just heard i haven't read it yet but i got it referred to me last week a book called the 12 week year no i haven't heard of it yeah i hadn't either but apparently it's like this guy, the guy that's described it and he runs a very successful business in the uk um he's like most organizations have these kind of annual planning cycles yep and um this person did some research and 50% of the results are achieved in the last 12 weeks of the year because everyone goes, we're going to miss our numbers yeah. <laughs> and they go crazy and they get, and they actually make a whole. And so then they're like, well, why don't we just break a year into four bits and have that last 12 weeks all of the time. And mm. so, which is exactly what you just said. And basically you just, you just up the cadence and the and iterative. So you don't have yearly planning cycles. You have 12 weekly planning cycles. And what do you know? Double the product profitability and productivity yeah and i think we remarkably we've, agile it doesn't and we spoke about this i can't remember who we were talking about with last week where we were saying pretty much the same thing is that when it comes to things like work meetings and all of those things if it's booked for an hour you'll take an hour and then all the value comes because you feel like you're running out of time or you're on a project and it's a mm -hmm. year project and all the value comes at the end where if you're running a more agile cycle then mm -hmm. everyone realizes that it's once you've created the value it's done it's not once the time's been taken up that it's done so how do you switch focuses on what what is the importance and what is the metric that you're running to mm. i that um that one reminds me i mentioned that um manufacturing background the theory of constraints ellie goldridge yeah yeah what was it parkinson's law any task will expand to the time it's given Yep. Um, and then when you combine Parkinson's, Parkinson's law with the student syndrome, which is, you know, when you're given a task or start a task, you do a bit of effort and then all of the effort is at the end of it, which is basically the key reason why Parkinson's law exists. And you combine 
Parkinson's law, the student syndrome, and then Murphy. If something, <laughs> if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And Murphy always comes along right at the end. <laughs> and so you give something three weeks. You don't do anything until the last week. Murphy comes along in the last day, so it's going to take six weeks. <laughs> um, same amount if you'd given it a week. You know, yep. it might it, it it might take three weeks, but yeah. by by building fat into the um, into all these iterations, all you're doing is just pushing, and kicking down the down the chain. That's always been my struggle working with project managers on transitioning to some kind of agile program. Is that you end up creating arbitrary milestones, and they look at you like you're talking stupidity because they're arbitrary. They're like, why are we putting these milestones in? They don't need to exist. They're arbitrary. It's like, well, otherwise Murphy's going to come along right when you don't want it and this thing and you're gonna you're not even gonna have this thing three quarters built whereas if we put these things in these yeah murphy will come along at all the wrong times or potentially all the right times instead of the wrong time and you're going to start to get some some wins early i mean this is big certainly in the project space around crunch and, and there's a big almost like na- public narrative now starting to emerge particularly out of the software development space on on crunch and setting these targets and these deadlines and then riding teams like hell um, to try and get some kind of, of, of a finished product instead of going, no, better project management would set some arbitrary targets, mm-hmm. some milestones along the way, and, uh, and we won't be shipping bad products in the last three months and then delaying things and, and not having great workplace cultures because we're forcing people to do 16-hour days and all the rest of it. So there's, there's definitely a lot to be said for that, um, but it is a weird mindset shift to go to that kind of a, a model of work in a lot of ways as well. The other thing that you've been talking about that um, I've been reflecting on two of the other podcasts that we've had and there's consistencies throughout all this messaging, which is nice. I like seeing the kind of the thread starting to weave through a lot of this thing. So the first is um, our, our chat with Theo Dawson on um, on development and, and education and I guess taking the opportunity to see the the opportunities for self-development and and her big push was similar to yours was find the smallest thing you can you can set and reflect on and do it and reflect on it and then do it again and the smaller you can get it and the more often you can do it the better your learning development will be because it's about that um almost the the compounding returns of doing that over and over and over again Mm. um so there's that, and then the other one was um, also thinking about, and this comes back to potentially what adaption is remarkably unique at being able to do, is um, meeting with Trace Bell last week talking about um, second-tier organisations and kind of looking at what happens when an organisation becomes what they call a teal organisation and all the rest of it, is um, his challenge to us and to our listeners was go and find perspectives different to yours sit with and enjoy someone else's perspective that is not yours and just deal with the cognitive dissonance. Just sit there and, and, and marinate in that cognitive and, dissonance And don't for try a little and swap bit. their perspective yeah, over Yeah, exactly, yeah. which is a lot of what you're just talking about as well is these kind of micro um, learning cycles combined with introduction to other perspectives and sitting in that at the same time to try and get the development not just in capability but in capacity and worldview as well. And yeah, I think I mean, the other I, thing... That great okay. No, I, think, that, that, that I was just... Yeah. yeah, I think the other thing that is interesting for me is cultures is we have a culture of going, going large or going big, right? And, and rather than actually go small and go often, rather than 
just try this big event, a developmental event, you're going to do once and all of a sudden you're going to change. It you know, like you said, it's like going to the gym. It doesn't work that way. And I think our organisational structures and our organisational belief systems are not necessarily set up for that micro-learning, mm. uh, a lot of them anyway. I think we're, there's quite a few of them starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, doing more and more of the same old thing is not, is not going not gonna to cut it. Well, I think that's why Atomic Habits has been such a popular yeah, book. Yeah, it has been. Right? For that exact reason, is people are going, big's just not working. Like, what, what's, what's the micro version of this that I can do and compound on over time? Yeah, the only thing I would say with it is it's, um, and I was off a call earlier this morning, um, with, a, with a technology platform, well, with anything, actually, it's not just a technology platform, but engagement is such a big thing. So there's this battle for engagement. Like this philosophically makes so much, much sense. And when you get people in there doing it, it builds momentum and they enjoy it and they build momentum and then they invite others in. But there's a very big barrier to get people to engage in it. And there's a couple of things that, that, that contribute to that. One is that we sort of come through a schooling type, well, I was going to say a schooling type metaphor, we come through school where you, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you get taught Everything that you need to know, somebody else knows. You learn it, you get tested, and once you're tested, you're done. So it's sort of like, you know, you pass it. But if we use the gym analogy, analogy, when it comes to development, you don't pass the gym. Like, if you stop going, you're going to get out of shape again. And so it's very much the same with development. But we've had, you know, for the first 20, 25 years of your life, it's something that you get, you get the tick and you're done. And so what happens is that flows through into corporate as well. I'm going to thread this back to these atomic habits. And then the second thing is we've just got so much on. You know, we've got the floodgates open. There's apps. There's all sorts of different things that are competing for our attention. And some of them are really, really good. So we used to sort of talk about our broccoli paradox or kale paradox with adeption. We've sort of like, we've got something that's good for you. And um, it doesn't taste bad, but it's certainly not Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so we've got this little broccoli stall in the middle of, um, a mall that's got Kentucky Fried Chicken, McDonald's, and all of these other things that are like optim- that are trying to grab everyone's attention, and are in many cases I think developmentally unhealthy. Um, so how do we get people to eat the broccoli? And the re- and the reason I say this, if there is a place to go big on both these points for organisations, it's with framing. It's with yeah. giving permission. Mm. It's like saying senior leaders saying this is important. Like this is your job. It's not an addition to your job. This is how you do your job better and setting the context so that people are going, oh, I'm going to start eating broccoli on a daily basis and doing these micro things. So it's kind of like, I heard this thing, it's like, think big, start small, scale fast. And I think Mm. that if we sort of think about reinventing leadership development in modern organizations, that's kind of not a bad little mantra. Mm. Absolutely. Do you find in your work with um, some of the bigger enterprises that you do run into certain parts of the organization starting to think that at a certain level they need to check out of this like execs are exempt kind of thing like uh you kind of i've I've done my development i've hit my spot i've got the role see you later rather than being that kind of i don't know there's a bit of hubris there what what do they say it's what the change is what the top tells the middle to do to the (laughs) bottom (laughs) yes yes um absolutely and we sort of uh one of the things that we've designed into the platform back to that yoga teacher and data scientist kind of analogy is that 
you can create experiences that are very, very light on the human connection and largely digital or very, very heavy on the human connection and light on digital. And so we find that it's easier to engage those really senior levels with the less tech, more human, but it's still there. And, and when you, and it's a light kind of development by stealth, you say, hey, this isn't for you. This is something we've learned that works remarkably well, but we need you to record your wisdom, these reflections, to create these insights so that everyone else in your organization can have access to them and the algorithm will recommend things. And so if you create a short reflective video of how you experience something, it's for everyone else's benefit. And it's like, that's, you know, it's playing a little bit to egos and things like that, but we've all got them and it, and it works. Mm. So that layer then engages to help everyone else. But the beauty is, is that that process is getting them reflecting, getting them thinking, um, out of you know, and, and so it's developmental in itself. But it, it's I'm not not to say it's not a challenge. Mm-hmm. No, that's fantastic. So I'm going to loop back to the nerd, the nerd in me, and give you a little bit of a grilling about this. Now, one of the things about vertical development and this and the development of stages and conception is the scoring mechanism. And this has been one of the core limitations to why vertical development probably hasn't scaled across the world like it probably could have, even though it's getting quite a lot of focus and. You know, a lot of people saying now, if you're not doing vertical development, you're really not doing leadership development because it's kind of like builds the capabilities to deal with the future of work and the level of complexity that we have at the moment. But the scoring mechanism for this is quite complex and quite human orientated because it's about meaning making and machines don't do a particularly fantastic job of doing meaning making by themselves. And the fact that it involves a human to judge these scores and to tell where people are in their stage development, it's time-consuming and expensive. And I believe that one of the core things of working with Nick uh, that you've been working on is how do we help machine learning and AI to help do this scoring for us and therefore make vertical development more scalable around the world? Yeah, so that's... Um, thanks, Pete, because that's one of the things I'm most excited about, um, and there's two reasons. One is that engagement issue that I just talked about. And I'll come back to the gym analogy again. You do exercises and you sort of want to get fit if your life depends on it quite often. So having some sort of assessment that tells you where you are is a great way to pull people in. So we've learned that with the Adeption platform, having a view of where you currently stand and where you could be, and then people are far more willing to engage in the work to get there. So assessments kind of became more and more important to us. And we were looking at the vertical assessments, obviously, because of our um, background and asked those exact same questions. It's like horribly inaccessible. And if we've got a, a mission or a vision for adoption, it's like to move quality leadership development from episodic for few to continuous for all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're going to do that, we need to make these vertical assessments vastly more scalable. And so we took the same, the same basis, the same algorithm basis that we were using to recommend insights to people based on their context. So when we ask people questions, we basically turn the language they use into a mathematical model. And then we've got our content, whether that's expert content or um, shared insights from other users, that's turned into a mathematical model and you regress the two and you do get a closeness fit. Are these two kind of in the same domain, in the same sphere? And the learning part is it learns um, and that model gets better and better and better over time. So we thought, well, 
could we use the same thing with um, stage assessments, with vertical assessments, and, and take the Washington sentence completion test, um, which is the sentence stems things like I am, leadership is, a good boss is, when they avoided me, dot, 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 people fill it in. Can we model that and compare it against data for how people at different stages answer those? And so we call that, we've done that, and it's um, the fastest growing part of the platform at the moment, and we call it the vertical mindset indicator. So it's an indicator rather than a full assessment. Mm. It's um, the sort of gold standard of those assessments is 36 stems. Um, we ask nine, and with those nine stems machine graded, we're currently getting a 92% plus or minus a stage to the full protocol of a 36 stem. And so if you think about it from an indication point of view, it's not necessarily exactly the same, but it's like, it's yeah, pretty close. It's an indicator. You're, you're, very, you're very much in the ballpark. And um, I kind of think that's good anyway, because we want to focus on the development rather than the assessment. Yeah. And so, and humans have got variation as well, right? And you know this, Pete, there's yep. a lot of, um, so that's really feels like it's unlocking the field of it. So we've got um, a client at the moment that in the last few weeks, has released 500. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. And, you know, you can't do that with human graded 36 stem. Not well, if you, you could, not if it you would be very sleep. expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and they, you know, these things are a couple of hundred dollars a person. So yep. including the digital debrief and some developmental work, that's like a three month experience, not just a workout, yeah. not just that's an assessment. So. Sure. That's fantastic. I even like the way that's framed. I think that's really important as well. Like the, um, the fact that it's a mindset indicator as mm -hmm. well. Like one of the things you, you, you run into with stages of development is immediately someone at a lower stage or all of a sudden feels inferior, mm -hmm. feels inferior to the person at the higher stage. And if you instead just say, listen, we're talking about mindsets here, we're comparing mindsets through stages of development, then understanding that you're not going to get to a certain mindset without going through other mindsets to get there is not a comment on you as a person, your capability or your professionalism. It's a, con it's a conversation about your own trajectory and, and progression in, in terms of mindset. But I also think for, for leaders and managers within organisations, probably one of the things that we've run into working with various organisations has been the big mindset trap of going, oh my gosh, how do I get my team to think differently? How do I get my team to progress, open up, be more curious, be more inquisitive, try new things? And that all sits at the mindset space. So to be able to frame that as a mindset piece rather than as a capability assessment or as a leadership assessment or something like that, at least is a little bit more pointed towards the, the right way you'd want to use that assessment as well. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. That's where one of the, um, we hear back from, and Nick may have mentioned this, but we hear back from leaders about the things they're like. Uh, often, leadership development people seem to be really worried about the progression thing and everyone wanting to race to the top. We don't actually hear that much from most leaders. The most leaders are kind of like, ah. So sometimes I may be coming across at a, a redefining level, for example, mm -hmm. um, and my team's in expert mode and we're missing each other. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like an opportunity for them to have some reflection and self-awareness, yeah. um, you know, or vice versa, and sort of just reframe the message and go, ah, it's not because <laughs> they're stupid or misinformed or all these different bits and pieces, or even it's not because they're a certain personality type. 
It's just that actually they're coming at this from a certain way of making sense of the world and me continuing to share things the way I'm sharing things is not going to is not going to meet them. Mm. So it's you know, I can I can flex a bit. Vice versa, they can understand where I'm coming from and you can create really rich conversations about how people are just simply yep. communicating. And I think that's the thing about vertical development, really, when you think about it, it's really object relations. So what objects are in my awareness that I'm aware of that are important to me and what objects are in my, aren't in my awareness and that I don't have access to and that capacity for access to or a broader awareness or mindset to see more has that kind of later stage and then those people that probably there's things that aren't necessarily in their awareness, they're there but you're not paying attention to them or, or you are paying attention but they're not important to you so then you don't bind them into your worldview and so therefore those stages are sometimes some of the lower stages. So for those people out there that don't understand this idea of vertical development that we go through these progressive stages and that the, the maturity or the trajectory as you move through those stages is about the amount of things in your awareness or amount of things in the environment and the complexity of your awareness to understand and see all those parts. It's, I love that description. And one of the things is um, back to the question of what role could AI and machine learning have in leadership development or human development moving forward i think you're hinting on one there pete we ran a a game for instance nine years ago now and it was on the future of leadership development and it was a fun day it was just a day and we had teams of people competing to kind of like and there was various stages they went through and um you know teams that scored the most at one stage could buy services of another team and the the outcome really was that the, the sense was in 10 years leadership development would be this was the game for instance nearly 10 years ago would be dominated by this idea of augmented self-awareness so tools that can increase people's self-awareness or object awareness in the moment um, and that in itself would be developmental um, I don't think we're anywhere near it <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, but I do think that you know as we move forward we could so we're doing a, um, a small experiment with a, a another um, partner in the leadership development space at the moment that is uh, that the view is to analyze conversations in real time and identify whether people are using blue language or red language the idea is are they using sort of language that's likely to be developmental for the people that they're with or are they just being very directive and just telling people what to do and increasing levels of kind of compliance and sort of you know yes sir type language and so leaders say in a, in a zoom call can have that feedback and a little head up display all of the time and realize yeah. when they're moving into directive or um you know opening up language use and it's just it we don't know but that in itself could be enormously developmental because we're unaware of a lot of these things and it's just making something that's previously um you know not object a bit more object mm. and um the hypothesis if we can do that subtly with a few technologies then we actually accelerate the natural developmental process for people mm. it's interesting that um, i think it's ray dalio um, they have something similar called the dot collector where when they're having meetings, the, the data and the influence of the person speaking is literally live on the call. Um, oh, wow. So Yeah, and that's yeah. human scored, right? So this is one that was a little bit more subtle, but I, it, it's, you, it's a great analogy, I think it's so. And it's tough, right, for them, but he swears by what it's done as well. So Yeah, it's really interesting when you see that sort of back step towards that more autocratic and the 
the second and third person pronouns and language start to disappear and it's, uh, you know, just that first person about I, me, I want, do this, that directive kind of lexicon starts to emerge and then as we move forward you get the, the we, us, all of us kind of uh, pronouns and terminology start to evolve as people become more expansive and more free. Absolutely. Um, Carl, what what what's up next for you? Where where do you see this going, and kind of what's got your attention at the moment? What's your landscape like in the future? Yeah, um, locked down in sunny New Zealand. Yeah, because <laughs> we all know, we always know you've got stuff going on. So there's plenty going on. No, there's plenty going on. Um, so we're sort of we're really. Um, narrow into you know we're really interested in continuing to to grow the business and and increase accessibility so we sort of talk about and so we've got some pretty exciting clients that are partnering with us to do that and um and others emerging from a um from a things that we're focusing on we've really distilled the the adeption as a platform into what we call lenses which are assessments and things that um that catalyze development um, that pull people in so almost like a marketplace of them so there's the VMI but there can be um, we've got a deep partnership with leadership circles so there's the LCP is another lens and then mm-hmm. there's other sort of more self-directed person, person personality based but they're not personality assessments because they're developmental by nature lenses that we've got so there's a suite of them um, and then they lead into what we call like a marketplace of transformational experiences and these are either individual workouts that deal with point and need moments that leaders have. And it's like basically having access to a coach in the moment when you need it. And they'll talk, help you talk through something kind of like a bot, but, um, but not yet. Or experiences. And so if you've got an ecosystem where there's multiple different providers that can provide those workouts and experiences into, into an ecosystem, other players can pull them down for their clients when they need them and see fit at the most. And all of that is supported by a network of coaches and facilitators because one thing we've really learned is that it's about scaling people, not replacing people. Um, Mm. And so those sort of three elements are kind of driving all of our kind of partnerships and the technology roadmap and what we're doing. So um, there's quite a long way to run on that. I'm really, really excited by the way it's evolving. And, And then we've got what we call Adeption Next, which is one of my good friends and colleagues and um, that I met at Babson and he's based in India and he's just kind of like looking at little moonshots and experiments and things. So we're built, doing interesting things like building VR rooms mm-hmm. um, for various things. So instead of debriefing the vertical mindset indicator with slides, you as a group, so it's on a multiplayer game platform, you walk into different rooms that have artifacts around them that um, are re- that that reflect the stage, so you can, as a group or individually, explore the landscape of it and kind of like um, settle in on where you are. So, got a few fun little things like that that are coming up. I could keep going, but I'll I'll pause. <laughs> no, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, all right, do we want to go to the the three questions? Three questions. So we've got our power round which we have at the end of all of our podcasts so if you had to break down leadership and learning into three key things for people at home um, and you can apply a technology lens to this if you like uh, what would those three things be 
So I think um, the way I'd sort of look at it is from a um, redefine. The first one is just redefine leadership. Um, it's not a role. Uh, it's 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 a verb. It's something you can have in a moment, not in another. It's it's human, and so yeah, redefine leadership as in human development. And if you're not developing as a human, I kind of all of us, like millions and billions of us, then I kind of worry for our society because the very things that AI and automation are taking away a lot of um, stuff that we've previously done that don't require development. Mm -hmm. And um, if we don't, then we're going to have a whole lot of people that are kind of unneeded. And that's not going to be fun. I think that's probably possibly going to be worse than people that are exploited. So leadership's for everyone. Like redefine that. Let's just make that really, really clear. That would be my first one. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're an organization or an individual, it is for you. And then... Um, I'd love to kind of have people talking about their their development, whether it's leadership development or human development, um, as a mainstream cultural discussion. Like you go out and have a coffee with your friends on the weekend and I come back to the gym analogy because it's an easy, and I think it's a nice one, and you talk about that. Talk about your cognitive development, your human development, your leadership development at the same time as an adult. It doesn't stop when you hit 20. And I think if we could do that, then we really start moving things forward on a whole societal and cultural level. Organizations are a great place to start. So, you know, senior leaders in organizations make how people operate and, and how they do their work as important as what they do. And just signal that. Use your skill as a leader to make that a normed conversation. It'd be refreshing to go to dinner and talk about something other than how much work sucks. So, <laughs> Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally, right? It'd be great to be able to, to go out and go, you know, I'm working on this. I've been journaling on that. These are the insights that I've had during the week. You know, I used to look at this and now I see it this way. Like, that'd be really, really refreshing. Mm. You bet. You bet. And then, um, and then incentivize if you're in the position to incentivize. And if you are or you're not, experiment. So, you know, just, just take some... Uh, start transitioning from being completely subject to the world that you're around and and start prodding a few things seeing what's possible and leaps of faith yeah what's the acceptable loss <laughs> you yeah, know it's like very yeah. little what can you do different in two weeks and um who knows maybe nothing will change but if that's one thing that um i, I it was a part of a session i was in and somebody asked the question we kind of ended up categorizing it as like maybe a little bit less science, but more scientific thinking. Like yep. all of us explorers, all of us pushing the boundaries of known human knowledge because there's so much that's still out there in that, in that gray space. I think it's that's all of our role. That's a fantastic perspective. Like to, to, to instead of seeing the world as fixed and discovered and therefore what does the latest paper say, see the world as largely undiscovered and be scientific about the way you go about it. And so, like you said, acceptable loss, try something, have a hypothesis, test it, validate it, and keep moving, and, and, and have that, that scientific process to actually unpack whether or not what you're standing in front of it has, in fact, been properly discovered or not. I think yeah. that, again, comes back to the curiosity thing. Yeah, we I call it the GPS before. mindset. I, you know, I've, I've said it, and I've gone in that direction and in that general direction, but when I hit a blockage, then i just got to reroute myself around something else to try mm. and get there. And that, yeah. there may be multiple reroutes, but I'm, I'm, and I'm okay with that. I'm not upset that I'm not going direct to destination. 
And in the process, you're creating a new map too. Totally. Like you're actually contributing to the map. You know, I, I do a fair bit of fishing and the latest fish finders, when you're, if you want, you know, you can, you can send as you're sounding the bottom up into the cloud and it's creating constantly ever evolving, very, mm. very detailed maps of places that have never been um, sounded. So, you know, we can all be doing that as humans. And actually, Dave, that, that just took me back. You know, what's next? One thing that these couple of things have just... Was it 30 years ago, there was no such thing as um, customer relationship management software. Salesforce didn't exist. Yeah. Oracle yeah. didn't exist. Now you couldn't think of running an organization without it. Mm. Now, whether it's adeption or not, I firmly believe that's what we need in the next 20 or 30 years. We need like human development software or human development technologies, mm -hmm. um, whatever the next version is, that are supporting and enabling us to have these conversations and grow ourselves um, constantly, continuously across the organization. And um, that's, that's exciting, I think, if that's... Oh, it's huge. And I think, you know, the direct fallout of that is, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll catchphrase it, better people, better teams, better organizations, a better planet, better, better society, yep. right? More aware, more collaborative, more integrated, and happier as well. Mm. Yeah, all those challenges that we face come back to those things that you just said, Pete. I mean, I really believe that, you know. And, and, um, and ongoing development is kind of one of the key, if not the key, things to enable that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carl, one question that raises for me, and I'm interested in whether or not you've seen this. We talked a little bit about it being like going to the gym. Um, and so I'll bring that, that metaphor up or that allegory up again. Does that mean we're not practising it? Like I'm thinking about people who might be considering taking the easy route or, or looking at a, uh, a role that is potentially something that isn't a real stretch for them. Does this kind of thing atrophy? Like, does leadership atrophy over time? Is that something that, you know, if you're not doing it for a couple of years, you're kind of going to have to work your way back through? Or is it something that's like riding a bike? What have you seen? I love the question. Is it like, is it like a golf well, swing or well, riding a bike? Is, is not doing anything, is standing still the equivalent to going backwards yeah. these days because yeah. the environment's going forward so quickly? Yeah, I... You know, I think that the, this is just my opinion because this is not something that we've sort of... Mm. But I, really, I, I think that standing still is the equivalent of going backwards because the environment that's moving. So the only, the only counter I've got to that a little bit is this, this concept that's kind of in our field of Bildung. Um, Thomas Bjorkman has written a couple of books um, and he's introduced, introduced that idea to me as um, the kind of character or development and um, one of the German philosophers said, Bildung is what's left behind after you've forgotten everything you learned. Mm. And so the process of <clears throat> developing some of these capacities creates structures of mind mm. that maybe doesn't um, go back. Mm. I think the biggest thing is, though, is that when, we don't, when we're asleep at the wheel, which <clears throat> admittedly most of us are a lot of the time, um, the <clears throat> what we have access to is so diminished yeah. and um, whether whether or not you can't I think with some constant attention you can reactivate where you got to maybe quicker than it took the first time around yeah um, that's sort of maybe that's you know if we sort of think of running you build bone density over a few years if you don't run for six months you do lose a lot of fitness but your bone density is still there mm -hmm. so you yep. can 
you can get back to running a marathon quicker than you did the first time around. Yeah, it makes me think about some of the conversations we've had around centres of gravity. Like if, if perhaps your centre of gravity was moving towards that reformer stage, but now you've taken a role where you're going to spend three years sitting at expert and really not challenged into that reformer stage, maybe that centre of gravity shifts backwards, but you still have this almost long tail out to that reformer stage that can snap back there over time. Yeah, you get muscle and motor memory. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I don't I know. Like Thinking out loud. <laughs> no, it's, it's cool. And it's kind of like a, um, you've, you've got, um, it's like reverse shadow. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is. Oh, well, man, there's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, we, and we talk about golden shadow quite a lot in yeah. our you know, conversations. Yeah. Is Shadow's not always a negative thing. If, mm. you know, when we split off pieces of ourselves and we see those not-so-great parts of ourselves in others, mm. we also see the golden things in others. What draws us to certain people with a level of attraction? And that's mm. parts of ourselves that, we've pro- that we ha- uh, have unrealised positive potentials that we're projecting onto others as well. So that's yeah. also there. Yeah, mate. Um, the, the other one that I wanted to pick up before we close out as well is the um, – we've, we've talked a little bit about, and I just wanted to sit there and reflect on it a little bit longer, is, is both lenses and frames. I thought they were the two kind of really key concepts that we've had. Yes, we've talked about scaling development using AI, but one of the, the – I guess two of those key – Um, tools that you do scale that with is through lenses by way in which we things we look through to view the world whatever they might be and then again the frames of reference that we actually bring into a conversation or into a situation and and the combination of those two things becoming quite useful things for little micro learnings or or reframing the situation Um, yeah any closing thoughts on frames and lenses um only that the more I learn and see and I guess develop myself, the more I realize how important they are. Mm. Like they literally, um, I used to think it was important, classic expert achiever. I used to think it was important to be right as far as, you know, the first versions of adeption were very kind of like developmentally correct and sort of as the engineer in me, you know, it was like, (laughs) and, um, you know, Form, um, form follows follows function. Whereas what I've learnt is that that's kind of ignoring the pa- the power and the importance of framing and lenses. Mm. And so, I we I did a little post for our team. Um, I did one a week, and it was our kids just fell in love with these red pandas. And you know, red pandas are like basically the cutest animals in the world. And as far as they were concerned, and so I kind of signified as the red panda effect. Mm-hmm. Um, things that are that frame something as beautiful and positive and really engaging is kind of like can give you the ticket to the door and I think that that that's yeah it's just so important and going back to the broccoli or kale paradox that I said earlier it's like you know do you roasted salted oiled kale is kale chips are actually delicious <laughs> so <laughs> um so that's that's where that yep. uh, yeah it's just it's just I, I like that you brought that up, um, Pete, the, the, Dave, because the, um, the, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I just see it more and more in the world. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So if you had a practice that, that you could suggest to listeners out there, you know, that would help them in their development from all the things, you know, I want you to condense 20 years of learning into one sentence here and say, what would be the one practice that you would have for someone out there? 
I think I already said it. I think I already said it. It's just like, wake up, do something different for the next two weeks. Be con we, we sort of call it be conscious. Um, what's working for me, what's not working for me. This can take two minutes. Um, and what's something, and then be curious. What's something that I'm not currently doing? How can I explore, be a bit of a scientist myself that I could do? And then commit to it, you know, and, um, and whether that's a, meditation practice whether that's having a conversation you've never had before whether that's visiting a new town and living sitting in somebody else's perspective where it could be absolutely anything but just have novel experiences but don't just stop at the novel experience then reflect on what you learnt, what you took away from it mm -hmm. and that could be something that is minimally minor and super simple to do or it could be something quite challenging like that leap of faith thing mm -hmm. but just you know live your life like a scientist just exploring yep Fantastic. Fantastic. That wraps us up, Carl. So if, if people want to find out more about you, Adaption, the Vertical Development Indicator, uh, the Vertical Development Incubator, um, where would we go to do that? Um, so Adaption.io will be the, the best place for the organisation. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, so Carl Sanders Edwards. I don't think there's too many Sanders Edwardses out there. <laughs> um, but they're the, and, and pretty easy to access as far as those paths as well. So yeah, mm. and anyone who's, I'm, I'm like try to live with what I said, being super curious and open to opportunities and different ideas. Everything interesting that's ever happened is through a conversation that's a bit of a collision of ideas. And so... Um, you're just welcome welcome any reach outs like yeah. that happy to explore it excellent and yeah. we'll pop all the links to adaption and the incubator in the show notes as well yep so absolutely Carl thank you so much for your time mate really really appreciate uh, it likewise both you fantastic conversation really really appreciate it yep. so and look you know if you've got time and as things evolve as I mentioned there's always stuff going on for you we might have you back in season two just to fill us in on the gap between now and then if something exciting is taking place we can talk more about shadow could be fun. Could be Could fun. Be fun. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks, Carl. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Thanks for listening. What's Next is brought to you by The Next. We are workplace futurists and transformation facilitators. You can reach us on the web at www.thenextnxt.com.au. Please ensure you subscribe to our channel to ensure you don't miss our up-and-coming episodes.